Well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter three. John chapter three, and while you're turning, let me just say what an honor and a privilege it is to be standing here. And I thank you, Dr. Greenway, for such kind uh, introduction and kind welcome. Uh, I love to hear all that the Lord is doing here, and I love to see you here in this room training for ministry, training for preaching, training for leading, and I'm so grateful to be here with you. Today, we'll be in John chapter three, verse 16. A sermon is called, A Love Worth Living. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this verse. Thank you, Lord, for what it teaches us about your love, your purpose in Christ, and your purpose even for us today. Lord, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest privileges I have is being a husband first, but also a dad. As Dr. Greenwood said, I have six kids, my wife and I have six kids, and and uh, the amount of food alone that goes through my house is crazy. When you have four boys and two girls, the boys eat at least three times as much as the girls eat. But I love being a dad. Uh, one of the most important things that my kids hear from me are the words, I love you. They're so important to hear those words. No matter what my kids do or where my kids go, at the end of the day, they, they are my children. And, uh, and so I, I want to frequently look my boys in the eye and say, hey, boys, listen, I want you to know that I love you. And no matter what you do or where you go, you're always my son, and I'll always love you. And I wanna take my little girls, and, and I love holding my little girls and, and look at them in the eyes and say, hey, this world's hard, men are mean, but I want you to know your daddy, he loves you, and he'll always love you no matter what. You know, those words are so important for us to hear as men and women, I love you. And the same is true for God's people. We need to be reminded often of God's steadfast love. And let's just be honest. Can we just be honest in here today? There are these times, these, these moments that, that come in our lowest of days where we don't often feel like God loves us. We don't, we don't feel like he is with us, and there are times that come where we don't really feel like he is even for us. There are moments where we feel guilt and we feel shame and brokenness and failure, and it's just so real that we find ourselves doubting, doubting God's very presence with us or, or, or love for us. I don't know if that's you, I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, but I have. Most of you are training for pastoral ministry. Many in this room are already in pastoral ministry. Others are teaching pastoral ministry. And what I know is true for all of us is there are days you don't feel adequate for pastoral ministry. You are well aware of your own insufficiencies, your inadequacies, and your insecurities, yet you sit here in ministry. John 3.16 serves as such a great reminder of the power and purpose of God in saving and calling people just like you and me into ministry. It's arguably the most 
famous verse in all the scripture. It's certainly the most bumper stickered verse in all of scripture. Billy Graham called it the point of the whole Bible. It's the gospel in one sentence and it reveals God's purpose in Christ. The context finds itself in the man named Nicodemus coming, searching for Jesus. He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He comes seeking Jesus, really clarity about who Jesus was. He comes to him at, at dark and he's asking who is this man and this, these things he is doing. And, he, and Jesus enters into a conversation with him where he basically turns Nicodemus's religion up on its head and says it's not about being good. You don't enter into God's kingdom by being good, by being a good law keeper or being moral, but by being born again, which throws Nicodemus's mind all upside down, trying to wrestle with what that actually means, and he's confused. But Jesus says he must turn from his way of living and his way of thinking and believe that Jesus was who he said he was and would do what the scriptures promised he would do, that he would come and bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to all nations, which again, in Nicodemus's mind, is so confusing. And then John steps out of the story and, and sort of gives verse 16 as this application. And I want us to see four truths that, that really gives us confidence of God's love for us, no matter where we're at today, and, and his conviction in our calling. First, see the, the character of God's love. See the character of God's love. For God loved the world in this way. That's a profound statement. God loves a love from a place of deep affection, a benevolent love, love seen by kindness and compassion. In what way has God shown us his love? Well, the essence of what John wants us to know is this. He wants you to see and know the way in which God has loved us. He says he has done so in this way, and he really connects to the previous verses, 14 and 15, that, that really find their root in Numbers 21. I know that one of your favorite books in all the Bible, Numbers. This is what it says in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God's people, Israel, are in the wilderness and they're complaining against God and against Moses and God sends, the Lord sends snakes, poisonous snakes that start biting the people and they begin immediately heading towards death. Many began dying and the people repent. And they realize their, their sinfulness and they stand up to Moses and say, please intercede for us. And Moses does and the Lord in kindness, despite their sinfulness, despite their complaining, despite their rebellion, answers and shows a great love for his people and tells Moses, take a snake, an image of a snake and put it on a pole and anyone that has been bitten can look at that snake and be saved. And this is the context we find verse 16, for God loved the world in this Way What follow these words magnify the intensity of God's love. God's love is most seen in his work. And what is that work? Well, we first see the people that God's love is aimed at, the world. It says the words, the world. When you read those words, the world, don't think about how many people God loves, but think about the kind of people that God loves. What kind of people does God love? God loves the unlovable, the broken and the hurting, the outcasts, those who don't qualify socially, 
those who are deceived by and trapped in sin, those who are confused sexually, addicted personally, and hiding hopelessly. He loves the religious. Maybe you here today don't feel like you come from a great family or you have a great story. You don't think you, you have much to offer or to give and you're training in ministry and, you're, and you struggle with preaching or with public speaking and, and you have a hard time really engaging theologically on things. Well, the good news is God loves you. That God loves those who are nothing special, those who are just ordinary. God loves people like you and like me, sinners like you and like me. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like a letter sealed in an envelope, so the love of God envelops you and me. It seals in those who believe. He loves you, the insecure you, the insufficient you, the inadequate you, he loves us. This is the incredible character of God's love. Do you today believe God loves you? Maybe you're a student here and you thought you'd escape that sin by, by coming to seminary or by moving to Texas Baptist College. I'm gonna escape that sin by going there. And here you are and you secretly are still struggling with that sin. And you're wondering, man, am I doing the right thing? My pursuit of ministry and here I am. How can God use me all my sin, all my shame, there's no way God loves me. Oh, listen, that is a lie. Contrary to the word of God, if you belong to Jesus, you can know that you are loved, you can know you are forgiven, you can be reminded that you've been set free and rest secure in the love of God in salvation. See, what, God, what John is wanting us to know is that God's love is seen most by his work, which leads me to number two, the demonstration of God's love. The demonstration of God's love, he gave his one and only son. We're told that it was God who gave, that word gave means to supply, to give something up, to give what is due. God witnessed the willful rebellion of his people. He watched them succumb to idols and evil desires. He observed their turning away from his commands and much like Israel, we too have rebelled against him, succumbed to idols and given in to our own desires and turned away from his commands. And scripture indicts all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet we're told that it was God who gave up his son to the cross for our sin. It was God who handed Jesus over, who delivered him over to be tried, to be mocked, to be beaten, spat upon, thorns placed upon his head stripped naked, ridiculed, laid upon the cross, nails driven into his hands and lifted up for all to see for your sin and for my sin. Have you grown numb to that story? Have you grown numb to the bloody cross where God put his own son so that you and I can be welcomed into his family and his kingdom, to be forgiven and set free, to be made righteous because of what he did on that cross. When we sing about it today, are we singing from a place of gratefulness, of thankfulness? When we're studying every day, are we thinking of the opportunity we have to serve God and his eternal kingdom because of the cross? 1 John 2.2 reminds us he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Jesus appeases God's wrath coming against our sin. 
See, the focus of John 3, 16 is, is the great love of God demonstrated by the greatness of the gift he gave. How great was this gift? It was the best gift, his only son, his beloved son. He was the holy son, perfect in all his ways. He was the only one capable of reconciling the gap between God and man and making us be able to come back together in fellowship with him. And God demonstrated his great love for us by delivering up his son to be crucified so that we might know God. Which leads me to the third truth, and that is the availability of God's love. The availability of God's love so that everyone who believes in him Every one of those words matter. Everyone who believes in him. This line speaks to who can be saved, only the good folks, the moral folks, the church folks. That's not what it says. It says everyone who believes. Salvation is universally exclusive. It's available for all, but only possible for all who believe in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the love of God is for anyone and everyone who believes. It is good news. You can be the worst of people or the best of people and put your faith in Jesus and be saved. You can be deep in the trough of sin and come to Jesus, put your faith in him, and be Saved, you can be drunk days on end, come to Jesus, put your faith in him and be saved. You can be bisexual, transgender, porn addicted, or in an affair, put your faith in Jesus and be saved. You can be a good kid from a good family, a good church, and put your faith in Jesus and be saved. You can be on your third year in seminary or on death row in a penitentiary and be saved if you put your faith in Jesus. Tim Keller says the gospel says joyfully, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been at the gates of hell. You can be welcomed and embraced fully and instantly through Christ. So let your love be invigorated for God because of this truth. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus. You have been ransomed from hell and destined for glory. And I am compelled to call you up here. I wanna encourage you to never let your theology stop shy of evangelism. If your theology keeps you from having compassion for the lost and a heart for the nations to know Jesus, then you have walked away from Jesus's commands to be his witnesses. Walked away from God's reconciling work among the world. Walked away from the very intent of God's original purposes. So beware of a theology that does not perpetuate the gospel to the ends of the earth, and the need is great globally. It is so great, 12,000 people, people groups, 3,200 still unengaged and unenreached. That's 28,500 million people. Still, no clue who Jesus is. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, atheistic peoples, animalistic, syncretistic, and state-regulated religions, every person represented in that number deserves the opportunity to hear about God's love shown at the cross of Christ and invited to join us in his eternal kingdom. So commit, commit to lead your church to have a heart for the nations. Commit yourself to have a heart for people because the availability of God's love is wide and available today. Number four, finally, the intent of God's love. Will not perish 
but have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That word perish means to die in sin. In the New Testament, there are all kinds of other words that describe the penalty for those who die in it. Words like lost and condemned and punishment, all very real, all very dark, all sure to take place for those who die without Christ. Sometimes we read that verse so fast that we don't pay attention to perish, but we jump to eternal life and we rejoice in our eternal life while ignoring the reality of people perishing today. Perishing today. Perishing today. All across the world, in our city, in this moment, perishing today. They perish. The Bible speaks of three different kinds of deaths. Physical death, the separation of the soul from the natural body. Secondly, spiritual death, separation from God because of sin. You can be physically alive and spiritually dead. This is the, the means in which Jesus is trying to show Nicodemus. You're, you're physically alive and you're trying to keep a law, but you're spiritually dead. There's a lot of people across America who are physically alive and spiritually dead. There's a lot of people in our churches who are physically alive and spiritually dead. And that third one is the eternal death, eternal separation from God because man chooses to remain separated from God in sin. The purpose of God's love seen in the sending of his son is the salvation of man from eternal death. God sent him to die in our place that we would turn from our sin and have eternal life, not eternal death. This is the reason he's called many of us into ministry to preach this gospel. It's the reason we've gathered to sing, to celebrate this gospel. This is the reason we will scatter to train and teach and share this gospel. The aim of our preaching must be the salvation of men and women for the glory of God. The aim of our preaching must be to, for the nations to know Christ because this is the very thing Jesus himself came to do. He articulated often. He came to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19. He says in John 10, 10, he came to give abundant life. In Luke 4, he came to set us free. John 6, he came as the living bread to give eternal life. He came to be the sacrifice for sin and put to ease the wrath of God coming against our sin. He came as the good shepherd to lay down his life for us. In John 12, he says he came as light to bring us out of darkness. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom for many. If you wanna know what the heart of God looks like, look no further than this gathering of people today, broken, sinful, ordinary people gathered to declare his praise, to train, to serve his people, to preach his word. Us living to see others hear, believe, and share the gospel glorifies God. And this is our daily task, that we would walk together in God's kingdom together. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is when you are born again, you're saved by grace through faith, you enter God's eternal kingdom now. We have entered God's eternal kingdom now. We are forgiven, new life is given, God's kingdom is entered through the saving work of Christ, accepted by faith. And those who believe are in, and those who haven't yet are out. And we who belong to Christ have walked into the door of eternal life. And we have been crucified with Christ, as Galatians says, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, and the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith 
and the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. So what does all this mean? Just as God sent his son Jesus into the world for the salvation of man, and just as Jesus came and was obedient to his father for the purpose of glorifying his father and to see the salvation of man, now you and I have entered into this eternal kingdom to propel this gospel forward tell others about Jesus and to propagate it to the ends of the earth so that we too might see the salvation of man. See, we're not called to only believe John 3.16 and memorize John 3.16, but to live John 3.16 and, and share John 3.16. When we don't have a proper love for God and a love for the kind of people that God loves and neglect to share that good news, what we end up doing is denying John 3.16. We must live our love for God. God's love must be lived through us as we go, bringing him glory in everything we do. The mission of God has become the mission of his people like an arrow aimed at a bullseye. So is the marvelous love of God aimed at you. And it's aimed at others in this community, in your workplaces, in your family. Everywhere we go, there are people in need for this gospel. So, I wanna encourage you, don't dwell on your insufficiencies. Don't dwell on your inadequacies. Don't dwell on your insecurities. Dwell on the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ that reminds us, that reminds you that God loves you, that he's called you, that he's equipped you, and that he will use you. And his love is a worth, a love worth living, but it requires us being totally committed to him with all of our ways, all of our hearts, and all of our future. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the love that you've shown us in Christ through the cross and the resurrection. Thank you for redeeming us, for calling us, for sending us to advance your gospel both here and around the world. May we love you. May we live for you with all that we are for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.